Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Entitled Tougher Than Hell. Um, this is taken from Matthew 16, verse 18, where Jesus uh, tells his disciples, and it's written for all of us, uh, for generation to generation, Jesus says, I will build my church. That alone is an interesting um, statement where Jesus, as you know, is a carpenter, and uh, he knows how to build things, and God knows how to build things. And the thing that God is building right now in the earth is his church. Uh, he is building his church. Now, he didn't say he was going to order his church on Amazon. Um, he's building it. Uh, the building of the church is the difficulty part. Uh, when you order things on Amazon, oftentimes it just shows up at your door, you know, within a couple of days if you're prime. But, but with God, he's building, and that's a bit of a longer process. Uh, he's, not, he's, not, he's not ordering, he's not purchasing, he's not going out and selecting his church. He is building. In other words, he's starting with a bunch of raw materials, and he's putting those raw materials together. And building process is always messy. It always costs more than you think it will. It always takes longer than you think that it will. And uh, never quite, never quite turns out. Some people are already amening me. Um, it never quite turns out the way that you that you thought that it will. And that's what Jesus is telling us. He says, "I am going to build my church. It's going to be this." process. There's going to be all this raw material coming together, and I'm going to find a way to take this piece that looks like it doesn't have anything to do with anything and figure out how that piece connects to this piece and that piece, and I'm going to build my church. And and then he describes the kind of church he's going to build. I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. He's going to build a church that is tougher than all of hell. And so there's this beautiful promise, right? This promise of Jesus saying, man, my church is going to be so strong. All of hell is not going to be able to take it out. It's a great promise that the church of Jesus Christ is going to remain, is going to last, is going to, is going to persevere. Awesome. But it's also a bit of a proclamation uh, describing a, a situation that's not necessarily comfortable or cozy. He says, he says, I will build my church and all the gates of hell are not going to be able to conquer it. How are we going to find out, Jesus? Well, because all of hell is going to come against it. So it is a promise that he's going to equip us and prepare us and strengthen us. But it's also a bit of a warning that if you are trying to follow Jesus, if you're deciding uh, to do anything good in your life, you're going to face headwind. You're going to face resistance. You're going to face uh, enemies. You're going to face obstruction. There's going to be difficulty. And much of this sermon series, the purpose of this sermon series is really to help us see difficulty differently, to help us begin to look at dif- difficulty dif- differently. And I have enjoyed just studying this scripture for myself, just in my own life uh, over the past few weeks, just, just starting to look at difficulty in my life differently. Uh, as there are things I'm facing, as there are things that I don't like, as there are things I wish were different, as there are things that I'm working on, uh, all of these things kind of, and I bring them before God and I say, okay, okay, God, how do you see difficulty? Because I see it in a certain way and I'm trying to avoid it. I'm trying to escape it. But I think God sees it differently. I think God sees difficulty as a part of our strengthening process because you don't ever, you don't get any strength without resistance. Um, You know what I mean? Like, 
if I, I, I read about people who work out one time, and, and it said that, that they lift heavy things frequently for no reason at all. And I decided I didn't want to do that. Um, but the purpose is to tear down the current muscle that's there so that your body can rebuild a stronger muscle that's more equipped for what you've been lifting. So God will often give you something that's heavier than you feel like you're ready for so that he can tear down your, your current structure, your current system, in order to strengthen you and build you up for what he is preparing for you. And, and, and it's a strengthening, it's a building process that he is doing. And we've been looking at Romans chapter 8, so I'd like to go there quickly. Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 35, 36, and 37, uh, Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us uh, that, that this very thing is going to happen to us. We're going to encounter difficulty. And so in verse uh, 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's interesting that he says who. In other words, he's not, it's not a what. There's, a, there's an individual. Uh, his name is the devil. The devil is trying to separate us from the love of Christ. He is our enemy, and he is out to separate us from the love of Christ. This is his goal. This is his purpose. But the tools that he uses to try to separate us from the love of Christ are listed right here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, these are the things. It's not the who, but behind each of these things, the enemy is trying to separate us from the love of Christ. And he uses, first of all, tribulation. We talked about tribulation a few weeks ago. Tribulation means pressure. Anybody ever experienced any pressure in their life? Yeah, never. Okay. Uh, next, we're going to talk about lying. Next sermon series is all about lying in the house of God and how lightning strikes you. And uh, somehow it, gets, it works its way right through this stuff, and it just zaps you. Uh, tribulation is pressure. God uses that, though. He uses pressure to help build us. Now, the enemy is using it to try to break us, but God uses it to build us. Uh, shall tribulation or distress? Distress is inner anxiety. Distress is, is what really is, is the result of constant pressure. If you live under pressure for long enough, you'll start to feel distress. And what's interesting is usually whenever a Christian starts feeling anxiety or distress or thoughts of anxiety or anxious thoughts, you know, the enemy that brought that distress to them also blames them for the distress. Also says, hey, if you were a good Christian, you wouldn't be having those thoughts. You wouldn't be thinking those things. But I love scripture, how real it is. It tells us right here that you can expect tribulation, pressure, and you can expect distress. You can expect, if you want to follow Jesus, you can expect seasons of life where there is inner distress, inner anxiety, where there is a, a, a restlessness due to the amount of pressure that you are under. And that doesn't mean that you've been separated from the love of Jesus. Don't allow that to separate you from the love of Jesus, but it will come against you. Or persecution, he says. And I talked about this last week, persecution. In other words, actual people um, coming against you. Uh, uh, I think it's 2 Timothy that says anybody who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. So I know none of us, or at least I have never been in prison for my faith or suffered that kind of persecution, but there are different kinds of persecution that we all will suffer, that if you want to follow Jesus, there are going to be certain people who are not happy about you, who don't like you. And I know, and I, and I know it's hard to believe you're so likable, you're so lovable, but there are some people who are just plain mean, and uh, those people are going to be mean to you. And, 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 and dealing with that, the enemy will bring that against you to try to separate you from the love of Christ. 
But God will use that to help build you. And then this week I want to talk about, he says, famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? It means to conquer, yes. But more means to enslave, not just to conquer, but to enslave. So God has not only conquered our enemies, but he has also enlisted our enemies to help build us in our faith. So in other words, you have a personal assistant. All right, so go ahead and turn to somebody next to you. It's their first time at, at, at the 1115 service, so just, just, just be nice. Don't freak them out. Oh, it's your first time too. All right, so turn to the person next to you and just tell them, I got a personal assistant. I got a personal assistant. He's, he's, he, he, he has a pitchfork and a tail, but, um, but he's cheap, and uh, <laughs> I can't seem to fire him. Uh, he, we all have a personal assistant, and it is difficulty. It is hardship. God is allowing hardship to be a part of our lives in order to build us up. I think the way I talked about it last week was uh, that the enemy will be working on you, uh, but God is working in you, and really all of it is working for you. All of it is for our benefit. That's what uh, Romans 8 says earlier in the chapter, that all things, good things and bad things, all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I just think sometimes it's good to remember that. I think sometimes it's good just to know that. I can't save you from the difficulty that you're facing in your life, but I can let you know that difficulty is part of the design. Well, okay, I I can't save you from difficulty in your life. But sometimes I think it's helpful when you know going into it that this is part of the process. This is part of the God-ordained process in my life. That, yeah, the good times are ordained by God, but the bad times are also ordained by God. And he has a purpose in all of it. That he is that, that the, he's not wasting these moments of difficulty. That he is using these moments of difficulty to build us up. And I know many times people are like, yeah, well, I don't really want to be built up. I really don't want to be strong. I just want to be the escape artist and just get out of here. And that's great and wonderful, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> so it's not realistic. It's not realistic. You're going to face difficulty whether you follow God or not. You're going to face difficulty whether you submit to God or not. The question is not, am I going to face difficulty? The question is, am I going to find some kind of purpose in the difficulty that I'm facing? Am I going to allow this thing to make me better? Is it going to build me up or is it going to break me down? And this is what I hope this sermon series is able to do for us, um, that each one of us are able to identify and find different areas of our life. Because, you know, as, as, as we read those, you know, you have, you have tribulation and distress and persecution. And, and sometimes it's like, well, you know, I'm not really dealing with any of that. But as soon as we start describing what that really is, suddenly all of us are dealing with all of this quite frequently. Many of us are dealing with many of these things, and, and, and yet we don't know how to categorize. We don't know how to think about it. We don't know how to, how, how to believe uh, God for it. And so oftentimes we come to church in order to ask God to help us escape from these things. And then when he doesn't do that, 
We get bitter and we get, we get ticked off at God because God didn't, well, God didn't fix my life. God didn't, God didn't heal this relationship. God didn't, I asked God to take that away and he never did. And, you know, and, and then we, we put all of this thing on, on, on like a fairy tale kind of God that, there's, that we have this, this great, wonderful grandfather in heaven who just wants to you know, take us to Disneyland and help us escape all of this bad stuff. And yet that's not the case. We have a God who is building a church. He is building a group of people. He is bringing people together, connecting them, and connecting them within themselves. He is, he is building us. He's building me. And that building process is not easy, and it's not pretty, and it's not, it's not everything that, that I would like it to be, but, but at least I can see that there is a purpose in my pain. There's a purpose in what I'm going through. And the same is true with regard to uh, what I want to talk about this week is famine and nakedness. He says, he says who, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution. And then he says, shall famine or nakedness? And I want to look at famine and nakedness because they both have to do with the same thing. They both have to do with poverty. They both have to do with, with lack. Nakedness is not mere nudity. It means to not have the money for clothes. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's a little bit difficult. I do. There's some caveats here that I, I, I find it a little awkward to preach about famine, right? Famine is whenever you're in an agri- agricultural society and you rely on, on a harvest and you sow things into the ground and uh, you wait for the rain to come and the rain never comes. And in Texas, we know a little bit about that. But uh, 2,000 years later, we kind of have some irrigation systems that can help with that. Uh, or we can just import water from, you know, Canada or somewhere. But, but the truth is that uh, 2,000 years ago when, when he's writing this, he's talking to an agricultural society that's highly dependent on the rain, highly dependent on rain. In fact, much of the ancient religions were based on this concept of trying to get the, the little G gods to send rain. Uh, because rain is what helped the crops grow. And so famine is one of the worst things in the world. It means, it means that you sowed into the ground. It means that you worked all of the planting season, and yet you never got to receive any of the harvest season that you worked for. It means that you, 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 you labored, but you didn't get out of it what you thought you were going to get out of it. You put in a lot, but you only were able to take out a little bit. Has anybody ever experienced any of that? Where it seems like you put a lot into the bank account, and it seems like there's just not a lot to take out. Uh, you put a lot into the relationship and it seems like you're not getting much out of it. You put a lot into those kids, but it seems like there's sometimes, some, sometimes famine is not just financial. Famine can be relational. You can be in a relationship famine. You can be in a, uh, in, in a job situation famine where you've put a lot for in, into that job. You've done a lot for that boss. You've done a lot in that position, and yet nobody seems... You're not getting out of it what you put into it. And, it, and it's almost... There's, there's an unfairness to famine. There's an unfairness to it. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Like, you know, you put, you put coins in, the, in, the, in, in, in a Coke machine and, and, and pot, you know, soda is supposed to come out. But when you put coins in and nothing comes out, you know, like that's when you lose your sanctification. Uh, unless you're a Baptist, then, then you never lose it. But whatever, you know, you just kind of get upset a little bit. You know, but, but like when, when you put stuff in, but nothing comes out, that's where, that's, where it's, that's where it's so frustrating. It's so difficult. And this is one of the things that if you are a follower of Jesus, you can expect. You can expect to lose some stuff, to lose some things that you've worked for, to lose some things that you deserve, to lose some things that you own, to lose, to lose some things. 
to unfairly, unjustly lose. Uh, it might be loss of a loved one. It might be loss of an opportunity. It might be loss of time. It's one of the worst things you can lose is, is, is time. It might be loss of relationships. It might be it's, it's so many areas in which we can, we can experience famine. Now, it is, it is good to note that he's talking about, um, you know, people who actually sow. So, uh, so I do want to just, just make the statement that, you know, if, you are, if, you are, if, you are not, um, if you're not actively sowing, if you're not actively doing anything and then you don't have anything, well, that's just because you're lazy, right? That's just because you're not doing anything. Uh, that's, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the kind of uh, poverty. Because at the same time, I, I don't want to be like, hey, everybody who's, who's struggling to pay their bills, that's, that's for Jesus, and, and he's going to pay all your bills for you. Sometimes you just need to learn how to manage your money better, you know, and, and go to Greta's small group and, and figure that one out, you know? I mean, sometimes, sometimes we're poor because we make really dumb decisions. We buy things we can't afford. We put it on credit. I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the loss of either financial loss or relationship loss, the loss of things that we love and hold dear based upon the fact that we are following God. We're following Jesus. And part of that will involve some loss, will involve some, 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 some poverty. But poverty can be powerful. There is power in poverty because, because poverty often uh, develops things inside of us that, that we couldn't develop in, in the midst of prosperity. A good example of this is when I was uh, uh, six years old, I started taking piano lessons. And uh, my mom thought it was a great idea for me to learn piano. And I thought it would be great, right? Go to piano lessons, learn how to play the piano. What I didn't know is that you, you actually you don't learn how to play the piano in piano lessons. I don't know if you know this or not. Um, you don't learn. You just, you just learn how to play scales. Like, you don't learn any songs. You just learn da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And you just do that over and over and over and over and over and over. And it's difficult because your thumb and your index finger want to go down at the same time. But you have to keep it up. And so as a six-year-old, I'm sitting there on the keyboard, da-da-da, you know, a little piano um, that I, th I think our parents rescued from the church basement. They were going to throw it out. So it was way out of tune. So it was more like da-da. And, uh, you know, you're just kind of working. You're working the scale. You don't actually learn how to play the piano. And so, you know, of course, as a six-year-old, I'm thinking, I'm going to learn how to play the piano. No, you don't learn. You just sit there for hours and learn scales. And that's just one hand. Then you have to work on your left hand, which you do the same notes, but with different fingers, like your pinky fingers. And then you got to do them both together. And it's difficult. And if you don't think it's difficult, you ought to try it sometime. We'll get you up here and make fun of you, and it'll be awesome. It's hard. It takes, it takes hand-eye coordination. It takes Then your foot's doing the little pedal thing at the same time, and it's like, your brain's about to explode. It's, it's difficult, and you don't actually even get to learn a song. And so pretty quickly, I just, I, I just decided I didn't like it. And it's, and, it's, and it's just kind of funny because a lot of times, you know, I play piano now um, for the church, and uh, I've been playing since we started. Um, and uh, a lot of times people come up to me and say that, you know, oh, you know, I really enjoy your piano playing. You're a good piano player. This is usually from people who don't know anything about music, though. Um, <laughs> People who know things about music don't really compliment me on my piano playing, but I'm just saying. Um, but, uh, but people who, know, who don't know anything about music, oh, the preacher also plays the piano. Listen, uh, you know, the three chords I'm doing over and over and over and over again, you know, they think it's pretty good. Um, and so, you know, I just, I just learned how to cheat 
But but the problem is like when they when when they compliment me, and I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes when people compliment me on certain things, especially in my piano playing, you know, I think like, yeah, yeah, it's okay, but it's not what it should be. You know, because they compliment me based on, oh, there's a 38-year-old pastor who's preaching and playing the piano, and oh, he's kind of good at playing the piano. But, but when I think of myself in terms of my piano playing, I think of the fact that I started taking lessons when I was six. And I took lessons from the time I was six to the time I was 18 years old. Like, I ought to be, like, a vir- virtuoso. Like, I ought to be really good. I ought to be playing, like, Mozart and Beethoven and, and Picasso and, and uh, just check and see if you're awake. And, uh, you know, I mean, I ought to be playing some stuff, like, it's fancy and wow and, you know, grooving and bass and all. And, 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 and so, so sometimes... Sometimes to me, that's a bit of a famine because I, I put so much in and I really didn't get much out. But the truth is, it wasn't because my teacher was bad. It wasn't because my parents were bad. It's because I didn't really put that much in. I, I actually lost a lot of time. I wasted a lot of time and a lot of my parents' money. I think I figured over those, those 12 years, I think I figured I wasted about $30,000 of theirs. And so, you know, because it was like $10 a week and you X, X amount of weeks, you know, every year. And, and so... So sometimes when people compliment me, I'm like, yeah, but is it $30,000 good? I mean, I got the G and the C chord down, but, you know. And so, so the question is, you know, how did I really learn how to play the piano? Well, how I really learned was after 12 years of, of dragging myself to lessons and, 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 and really just, you know, making up stuff to tell my teacher because I am quite a confident person, so sometimes I, I can make people think I know what I'm talking about when really I don't have a clue. And so I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, this is what I do, right? Like, this is how I practiced it. Um, and, you know, and so, so, so time and time again, working through all that, and I, I didn't really learn that much um, until I went away to Bible college. Went away to Bible college, and I was lonely. Um, no family, no friends. I was in my dorm room all the time. The dorm room was made up of cinder blocks. It looked like you're in a prison. And um, for Christmas, my, my, my folks got me this little keyboard, which we still use sometimes, a little Yamaha keyboard. And I'm just in my dorm room. And so I whip out, you know, the uh, a hymnal and I just start playing the hymns um, only like not for practice, not for a teacher, but just because I wanted to connect with God. And I started playing some uh, Delirious songs, which if you don't know who Delirious is, that's because you're not saved. Um, Delirious was like the Christian band of the 90s. Um, and so anyway, I started, you know, I could sing your love forever. And so that's kind of, that's where I learned how to, most of what I play now is, is, is I mean, I got a foundation from some faithfulness of 12 years, but I, I didn't hardly learn until I really got desperate. Sometimes what you learn out of curiosity is not nearly as powerful as what you learn out of necessity. That, 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 that sometimes, sometimes you're in the middle of, of life and things are good and things, there's a lot of space in life and things are rolling along and you have prosperity with regard to relationships and so you don't really work on your relationships. Uh, your marriage is going great so you don't really work on your marriage. Uh, seems that she's responding fine, so you don't really work on how you're talking to her. It's just a just just an observe, just an option there. I'm not saying that's anybody, but you know, the, sometimes when things are going well, you're actually just just chilling. You're just floating. And so, yeah, you're kind of interested in improving, you know, like when your finances are, oh, yeah, I think maybe I could go to the financial peace class. I mean, I'm doing okay. But when you hit rock bottom, then you realize I got to do something different. 
Sometimes losing things, sometimes poverty can be powerful because it can push you to actually change what you wouldn't change out of curiosity, what you wouldn't learn out of, well, maybe I'll try to make myself better this week. What you wouldn't move, how you wouldn't move in that situation, you will actually take steps and move forward when your back is up against the wall. When you have lost enough things, when you have lost enough of what you love, then suddenly out of necessity sometimes, we build the skills that we need and the tools that we need. And so much of my worship playing now comes out of my necessity, not my curiosity. Much of what I do now comes out of those times in my dorm room, not the 12 years that I spent with a, with a teacher trying to get somebody motivated who just simply wasn't motivated. And that's why sometimes if somebody's not motivated, it's best just to wait until they get motivated. Motivating people, trying to motivate people, is an entire waste of time. <laughs> because the right, because the people who are ready to change will be self-motivated. And if, you, if I stir you up on Sunday, go for God, you just do it, you read your Bible, it's going to be awesome, Woo! it's going to be amazing. The truth is, like, yeah, you'll be like, okay, I'll try that. But if you don't need to read your Bible, if you don't think you need, if you haven't lost enough to where you need, like, you know, so, so if I try to motivate you, it's just piquing your curiosity. I think it's Jim Collins who said motivation is mostly a waste of time because the right people will always be self-motivated. The people who are ready to move will already be motivated, which is why in my preaching today, I'm not trying to motivate you. I'm, 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 not, I'm not trying to stir you up to be like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God just, just to give me poverty. Lord, give me poverty. No, I don't think that's a good prayer to pray, really. I, I, think, I think, if anything, I'm trying to help identify the situation that you're currently in and allow you to see it a little differently in hopes that, that, that the motivation that's already inside of you, the desperation that's already inside of you, We'll find an avenue to run. We'll find a place to run. We'll find something to dig into. We'll find something to grab a hold of and say, yep, that's where I'm going. That's what I've been needing. That's what I've been looking for. I, 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 I had this motivation inside of me. I just didn't know an avenue to, to put it or a place to put it or a way to get it out. And that's the purpose of preaching is to, is to bring revelation so that the motivation that's already on the inside of you has a place to run, has a place to go. Because the fact that you're here means that you're already fairly motivated. The fact that you're not, you know, getting ready for the game. Uh, oh, they're not even playing today. So never mind. Dallas is playing tomorrow night. The fact that you, they, you, they, 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 you got up after staying up late for the overtime game last night with Texas means that you're already fairly motivated it's just oftentimes there needs to be some revelation as to the power that resides in poverty, the power that comes from loss. It often hones our skills and hones us uh, and, and, and allows us to work on things we wouldn't have worked on otherwise. Uh, it's, it's, it is, poverty is powerful, but it's also um, precious. I don't, I don't think we quite understand, because we are such an anti-poverty uh, community, I don't think we quite understand how precious poverty is in the eyes of God, how God views poverty. In Matthew chapter 6, the longest recorded uh, sermon of Jesus in the Bible, uh, right smack in the middle of it, Matthew chapter 6, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, right, that's famine, nor about your body, what you will wear. 
what you'll put on. That's nakedness. He's dealing with the exact same thing that we're dealing with in Romans. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. He's referencing famine here. And they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Are you not more valuable? Now, wait, now hold up, Jesus. I didn't say that I thought I mean, birds are more valuable than me. Why are you asking me that question? I'm not really, I, I, didn't, I wasn't going to try to compare myself to a bird. Why is, why is he asking the value question? And I, I think the reason why he's asking that is because he knows that the enemy's goal is to separate us from the love of God, the love of God, not the um, discipline of God, not the justice of God, not the omniscience or omnipresence or omnipotence of God. He's looking to separate us from the love. The love is the value that he holds for us. So the enemy brings poverty into our life. He brings loss into our life. And the first thing that he suggests when we lose whatever we loved, he says, obviously, God doesn't really value you very much. He's trying to steal the view of God's value of us. And so Jesus says, look, 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 have you considered the birds? Like, just, just look at the birds. See how they're not busy trying to figure out their own life? See how they're just living? Why? How can they do that? Because their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable? Are you not more precious? I think the King James Version says. Are you not more valuable than they? I had a conversation with Micah this week, and um, it, was, it was one of those things. Uh, parenting is beautiful because it gives you an opportunity to kind of see things from God's perspective because God describes himself as our, as our parent, as our father. And so oftentimes, um, as a dad, I feel like the more, um, the more godly of a dad I try to be, um, the more insight I sort of get into how God must feel toward me and deal with me and think about me. And so this week, uh, Micah, Micah had, a little, had a little issue. Um, he, he was, he was uh, I saw him uh, uh, overplaying, and, and uh, I could tell that he was starting to cry, and he was kind of you know, upset. And um, so I called him over, and I said, what's, what's going on? And so he, he described the situation. And it took a little while uh, for me to really grasp it. And uh, I'll just give you the, the Reader's Digest version. Basically, he had lost one of his toys. And uh, he loves this little, this little toy. Uh, they're called groceries. I don't know if you've seen those. Um, it's, a, it's a six-year-old boy thing. Um, groceries. Gross. Like, they're gross, but then they're groceries. They're gross. Anyway. Um, if you have a six-year-old, you'll know what I mean. And, uh, and, and anyway, he, he's six years old, and he loves his little groceries. And apparently he had lost one of them, right? And so I called him over to me, and so he explained, you know, uh, so-and-so, such-and-such, blah, 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 and don't know where it is, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, let's go look for it. And so he explained the same situation to me over and over again. And at probably about five different times. Uh, he's telling me about how, you know, such and such might have had it and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I mean, he's six and he's, and he's upset. 
And, um, and I'm fine with that. Uh, whenever, I mean, heck, when I lose my toys, I get a little bit upset, you know. I mean, I understand being upset when you lose something that's valuable to you. And so that makes sense. But there was something about his reaction that was just, it just was rubbing me the wrong way. It was just kind of in the back of my head thinking, like, something's not quite uh, right about this. And uh, in our home, we do a lot of talking with our kids. So we do uh, bring discipline, but we always talk probably 10 times more than we discipline because for us, our goal is to communicate with our kids and help them um, get to the heart of what's going on. So not just behavior, right? So uh, it's not just Old Testament parenting where if you do something wrong, you get slapped. Uh, Do something right, you get rewarded. Like that's kind of Old Testament, you know, uh, parenting. And if that's what you do, then that's great. But uh, we kind of like the New Testament way, which is you still get uh, every now and then. but, But for the most part, God's interested in what's going on in here. And so for my kids, I'm interested in what's going on in here. And honestly, in, like out here, Micah wasn't doing anything wrong. Micah has actually been doing really well. You guys have kind of been growing up with Micah. The church is, heck, the church is almost three years old. Micah is six years old. So, you know, um, you guys have kind of been, you're, you guys are right around the same age as Micah, basically, um, <laughs> as a church, that is. Uh, of course, we do refer to the church as, as, as our third child. So you really, you really ought to know that. Roe had our first two. I had our third one. And uh, I still got some stretch marks from it. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it's, it's, it's like having a baby. Planting the church is, anyway. Um, without the birthing pains, I, I have to give it to you, babe. You, you did that without any drugs or anything because you're a beast. Um, but anyway, you know, we, we, we had Mike, and he's been doing great. And you, you guys have been doing pretty good the past little while, too. I'll just, I'll just give you a little, little sticker for that, you know, sticking on. Uh, Mike has been doing pretty good. I mean, um, he, was, he, he, he had the disadvantage when he was born of being a sinner. And so he was born a sinner, um, kind of like all of us. And uh, uh, at four years old, he discovered lying. And for him, that was really an exciting thing because that meant he could, like, tell me something that wasn't true and then, like, avoid getting in trouble for something he actually did. And he thought, he thought this was a brilliant idea. I don't know if you've seen the invention of lying, but it's kind of like along that line. And, 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 and he just saw it as this great thing. And we tried to teach him that it's not a great thing. And so over the last year, I mean, he's been doing really good. And so there's a lot of outside things he's really been working on, right, like lying. That's an outside thing. It happens out here. And um, he hasn't been lying to us and I've been encouraging him for that and 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 that's good but but there was something different it wasn't really an outside problem that his behavior was fine he was upset over losing a toy and I get that but there was something about his reaction that that was more of an inside thing there was something in his heart going on and so I began asking him just questions about bud you know like what like you know what what are you thinking like when you're so upset because he was so upset and he wasn't really answering me very often. He was just telling me the problem and so-and-so and this and, and that and I don't know where it is. And like the same thing. And I, I just felt kind of like the Holy Spirit just kind of like in the back of my head was just like, yeah, Harry, just keep, just keep asking some of these questions. Because this is how I feel about you many times. This is, this is what happens when we get hit by poverty. It's what happens when famine happens and we, we put a lot in and we got very little out. Our prayers are often kind of like Micah. It's more complaining, really. 
Dad, so-and-so did this, and, and then this happened, and then I just can't find it, and then I don't know. And he's just complaining. And most of our prayers is just, this is going wrong, Lord, and that's going wrong. And boy, if you'd really fix that person, it would make my life a lot easier. And so-and-so is being a jerk, and, and blah, blah, blah. And it's just we're, just, we're just complaining to him. And it's almost like we say the same things to him over and over and over and over and over again. And, and finally, I just stopped him, and I said, Micah, look, I, I, I get it. I understand, and, 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 and I trust you, because you've been honest for the past year, so I actually think you're telling the truth. Like, you know, I, I trust you, and I get it. I understand why you're upset, but what I don't understand is why you are so upset. Like, you are more upset than you, like, ought to be upset. And his face wasn't changing, right? He was still kind of in this grimace. You could tell he was just, he was upset. And so, and so, and so I said, Micah, like, like, don't you think that I'll take care of you? Like, don't you, don't you think that, that I'll take care of you? And he said, well, what do you mean? You know, because he knows the right answer. Yes, dad will always take care of me. But so you can know the right answer about God. Yeah, yeah, God's got everything under control. Yeah. Like, you can know the right Bible answer. Raise your hand, get it correct, get a sticker. But, but that doesn't help me right now. You know what I mean? Like, I've ever felt like I know the answer. I could, I, could, I, could, I could write it down and pass the class on Christianity, but that's not helping me right now. So Micah's like, yeah, I know. You'll take care of me. But what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with the fact that I just lost this toy and I'm not going to say, like, you know, the same story? And I wonder how many times we come to God like that. And he tells us, have you checked out the birds of the field? How they, do, do, do you know how much I care for you? Yeah, God, I got that. But seriously, like, how is that going to help my relationship? How is that going to help my marriage? How is that going to help my kids? How is that going to help me in my job? I know you care about me. That's wonderful. That's lovely. But like, you know, seriously, I'm really concerned about this. And that's when it hit me. The fact that that Micah was so engulfed in his loss and so engulfed in his attempt to get back what he had lost that he wasn't even thinking about involving me in this. It's almost like, and I know he didn't really think it, but it's almost like he thought he was alone. He was on his own with his six-year-old intuition, his six-year-old budgeting skills, his six-year-old negotiation skills. And he was frustrated, and he was losing hope. And obviously, he's six. I said, bud, like, how many, how many groceries do you think dad can buy? Do you think maybe I can buy 10? Yeah, you can buy 10. How about 50? Yeah, how about 100? Yeah. Do you think Dad can buy 500 groceries if I wanted to right now? Yeah? That's right, because I'm rolling deep in it, son. That's right. That's how I roll. That's why I'm driving a Ford Focus 2009 with a dent in the door, but it's all good. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I can buy 500 groceries because they're about a dollar a piece. Um, I'm checking my bank account. Uh, you know, uh, hey, I can buy 500 groceries. Yeah. I said, Look, Micah, don't you think that if I thought something was really valuable to you and you lost it somehow, don't you think I would, like, go to the store and buy you another one? 
Like, don't you think I could do that? Don't you think I just whip out my debit card, which has infinite money as far as he's concerned, and, uh, <laughs> Dad, just use your card. Yeah, doesn't work that way. <laughs> People come knocking on my door if I use my card too much. But, you know, don't you think I just whip that out? I mean, I know the aisle. I, like, I can take you to Walmart and show you the exact aisle where groceries are. I know the exact one that he's missing. I know the color. Like, I, like, I, I know my son, what he likes. I've been there shopping with him, debating, should we get this one? Should we get that one? Come on, let's get going. Like, I've been there. Don't you think? I can just drive to Walmart. I don't even need you. Just get exactly what you lost. Sometimes I think, I think God's up there going, do, do you know what I own? Like, seriously. Like, it's all mine. The gold is mine. The dirt that the gold's in is mine. The mountains are mine. The, the, the government is mine. The, 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 the police officers, the, everything. I own it all. Proverbs says he can turn the hearts of kings like water. In other words, he just sticks his finger in and the hearts just of kings just go around him. Like he owns the Senate. He owns the Congress. He, own, he owns it all. He owns not only all physical things, but all influence, all influential things, all influence. He, he owns all things and not only influence, but he owns all, 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 all healthy things, right? He owns all joy. He owns all peace. He owns all forgiveness. He owns all grace. He owns all love. If you're short on any of that, if you've lost any of that, don't you think that your father could just whip out his debit card, drive to the holy Walmart, and just grab what you need? I mean, like, like that, that's, that's, that's what like, he just wasn't getting. He was stuck in this thing of he had to figure it out. He had to solve it. He had to find a way to get back what he lost, and he wasn't finding any way. And what was kind of bugging me is that I'm his dad, and I'm here for him, and I love him, but I'd kind of like him to come talk to me about it. And that's where the Holy Spirit was just kind of like, Harry, you know, you're a lot like uh, Micah. (laughs) Micah takes after you. Always trying to solve your own stuff. Always trying to be your own provider. Always trying to be your own defender. Always trying to be your own strategist. Don't you think that I got like everything you need? And and then like on top of it, just throw in 10 extra groceries just because I'm good? And Micah's response was just so interesting. He said uh, his face really softened. You could tell this started to do something, his face softened, and he looked at me, and he said, he said, yeah, but I didn't know that you would. I didn't know that was an option. (laughs) And so much, I think, of Scripture is written so that you know it's an option. So that you know not just that God could, but that you know that he would. He would. He said, he said, look, look, look at the birds of the field. Look, look how they don't, they don't stress about what they're going to eat, where they're going to live. Their heavenly father takes care of them. Don't you think you're more valuable than them? Do you know what I would do for you if you would ask? Do you know what I would do for you if you would come to me? I feel like the Holy Spirit's talking to some older Micahs in here, maybe. All the six-year-olds are in another class, but 
We've got some 16 and 60 and 66-year-olds who, who <laughs> I'm just trying to think of different sixes, who, who still have a version of their father as somebody who says, well, you made the mess, you got to clean it up. Well, you lost the toy, you got to find it. You got into this, you got to get yourself out of it. Don't have a version of our father like this. Are you not more valuable than them? Do you know how much you're worth? He says, besides, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Why do you worry about what you're going to wear? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, they're not working, not toiling or spinning. They're not going to H&M or Forever 21. They're not concerned about what they're wearing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, wasn't clothed or arrayed like, 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 like one of these. And I think there's another verse in there as he goes on. Talking about clothing. Now, if God clothes the grass, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Dealing with poverty again. Because it's after all of these things that the Gentiles seek, the people who aren't following Jesus, the people that aren't following God, they're all trying to figure this stuff out. But your heavenly father knows. I wonder how many problems would be solved just by getting a hold of that statement. Your heavenly father knows. Your heavenly father knows. I wonder how much you could actually forgive other people of what they've taken from you. If you really understood the statement that your heavenly father knows. See, the great thing about poverty is it, is, it, is it cuts down on our resources. We become uh, a lack of resources. We lose resources, stuff we thought we had saved up for a rainy day with its finances. But even in, even in relational resources, there's nobody we can turn to, nobody we can talk to. It's, it, it, it's like we lose resources. And that's beautiful because that causes us to not rely on resources. Not to seek after the resource, not to seek after the promotion on the job, not to seek after uh, the relationship, not to seek after these things which are merely channels that God uses to communicate to us. He is the source. And the beauty about poverty is it removes the resources so that we can finally see who the, the source is, the source of our joy, the source of our peace, the source of our happiness. And he, and, he, and he graciously allows these things to move out of our life so that we can, we can actually come to him and bring to him our cares, bring to him our troubles, bring to him our concerns, bring to him our lost groceries, bring to him what's bothering us, what's weighing us down, what's burdening us. And he tells us in Scripture right off the bat that your heavenly Father already knows what you have need of. And he's already willing and ready to give you above and beyond even what you ask or think. That God has is, is not left you alone. He's taken resources. But he has left himself. It's the greatest source. He is the greatest source. Poverty is, is powerful. Poverty is 
precious, but poverty is also passing. It's, it's, it's not permanent. Poverty is a part of this life, but it's not a part of our eternal destiny. It's not a part of what God's doing um, beyond this life. Jesus tells a story about a prodigal son, and this is a, a story also about famine and nakedness and hunger. He tells a story about a prodigal son uh, in the Gospels. He's trying to describe our relationship to our Heavenly Father. And he says that there was this, there was this boy who, who received his inheritance and um, took off from his father's house, left his dad, went off into a faraway country, and he was living it up. And uh, he was having a good time, and he was purchasing everything he wanted to purchase. He, was, he had a lot of friends. He had a lot of resources. And then famine hit the land. Jesus said, then famine. It's interesting how famine is a tool that the enemy uses to try to convince us God doesn't love us, but it's also the same tool that God uses to help remind us about how much he loves us. <laughs> famine hits the land, and suddenly the guy who had all the resources loses his friends, loses his money, and he finds himself in a pig pen eating the stuff that the pigs are eating, and he's got pig doo-doo all over him. That's a six-year-old version, and he's got, he's got mud all over him, and he's down there in the trough eating with the pigs, and it's there that he comes to himself, and he says, you know what? I was better off in my father's house. And so he climbs out of the pig pen and, 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 and sort of like many of us, when we come back to God, already on the journey, hasn't even come home yet and he's already thinking in his head about the story that he's got to tell his dad, the deal that he's got to negotiate with his dad so that maybe his dad will let him stay because he doesn't believe Matthew chapter 6. He doesn't believe it. I mean, he's probably heard it. He's probably blah, blah, blah. He could probably answer it, you know, like, like if, he, if he was asked, does God love you? Yes, God loves me. He could probably answer it, but he, he doesn't believe it in, in here. He knows it up here. Yeah, dad loves me. Obviously, it's going to be better for him at his dad's house. He understands on some level the goodness of his dad, but he hasn't fully comprehended it because he's still trying to negotiate a deal. But... <laughs> The beauty of it is Jesus tells this part of the story, but you don't really need to know that part of the story because the young man never gets his deal out. He never, he never gets to really explain. Because while he's still a far ways off, his father sees the silhouette of his shadow and his father jumps off of the porch and just chases him down and hugs him like all uh, mud and poo-poo and all of it. His dad just hugs him, kisses him on the cheek, which was normal back in those days, and, uh, and, and, and just embraces him and says, my son was lost, and now he's home. And he's so excited, he doesn't even give the kid a chance to go through his speech, and he's just so excited that he's coming home. He wraps his arms around him, and then he tells his servants, like they're, they're standing there in the middle of the road, far away from the house, he tells the servants, hey, 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 go back and get the robe. Right? He's taking care of his nakedness. Go back and get the robe so that my son can be covered, so his shame can be covered. The result of the famine, shame, can be dealt with. Go get the robe. Cover him so that nobody has to know what all he's been through. So that he doesn't look like where he came from. Cover him. With my robe. Just put a, 
and get some shoes on his feet. The shoes are for the rest of the journey because he met him while they were a far ways off. So he says, we still got some, some space to go between here and home, which that's symbolic of life <laughs> on our way to dad's house. Put some shoes on his feet that'll help him on the journey. Get a ring, put it on his finger. That'll show everybody that he's a son. He's not a servant. Oh, and kill the fatted calf. Fatted calf means the one that we've been feeding a lot, uh, letting it grow, so we can have some some good some good barbecue. And this is this is how mistaken the prodigal was. This is how upside down the prodigal thought of his dad. He thought that he would have to somehow negotiate a deal to stay with his dad because he figured that ever since he left, his dad was kind of kind of mm, not too happy about that. But what he didn't know is that when he left, his dad said, let's start fattening a calf for when my son returns. (laughs) You know, the fatted calf. Go kill the one that we've been fattening up. All right, got it. Maybe that's why the prodigal didn't finish his little spiel, because he saw how silly it was. (laughs) Oh, you've been, you've been... You already made the event on Facebook? It's Facebook official. Okay. So you either get the parties ready to cater is scheduled? Yeah, yeah. We were just holding off for the day that you came back, but here it is. Down payment's already been made, cake's been ordered, it's already decorated. This is how off we are about God come to him thinking we have to negotiate something because we don't even know what he's been doing while we've been running we don't even realize that he's been preparing our return even while we were in the pig pen we didn't even know it was an option like Micah I didn't know that I didn't know that you would I didn't know that it was on the table I didn't I didn't understand that that I had somebody else in my corner. And that's what I would say to you in, 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 in an adult way of what I said to him in a kid way. God is in your corner. You're not alone. God is concerned about every detail of your life. And he is not only able, but he is so willing God, like, he, if, if anybody has done you wrong, he knows about it. He's been keeping track. And he's ready to restore and repay everything that has ever been stolen. He is not, you're not on your own. You don't have to figure this out. You don't have to get it back. It's not up to you. You, you and your six-year-old logic is not going to work. And your six-year-old reasoning and your six-year-old negotiation skills and your six-year-old budgeting skills you don't have it you don't have the resources but your heavenly father is ready to whip out his big old visa wells fargo card for you like right now there's nothing there's nothing that's what romans 8 says that god who gave his own son how would he withhold any good thing from us the lie of poverty is that god doesn't value you 
truth of poverty is that God allows poverty to come into your life in order to help you to see how much he values you. How important you are to him. How he is your provider. He is your defender. He is the head breadwinner of your home. It's not on you. It's not on your shoulders. You don't have to, you, I mean, you have to be faithful. You have to do what you can do. But God has already committed himself to you and to your good. It's already in your corner. He already believes in you. You don't have to try to sell yourself. He's already bought in. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? I'd like to read the scripture to you. Uh, it's from the message paraphrase in Isaiah 43. Um, and I, I, it's just, just I, I want to read it to you as you close your eyes because I don't, this isn't coming from me. Harry doesn't feel this way about you. God does about each and every one of us. He says to us, he says, don't be afraid. <laughs> That's the beginning really, isn't it? He's always saying that. Let your face just calm down. <laughs> Let your face calm down. Don't be afraid. I have already redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God. Your personal God. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. I'd trade all of creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I am with you. And I will round up all of your scattered children. Everything, every seed that you put in the ground that didn't grow, every time you were cheated, every time you were slighted, everything you were stolen from, everything you, were, you missed out on, the years, in fact, that you wasted, time that you wasted, the talent that was taken, I will round up all of your scattered children. I will go after everything that you should have produced but didn't get to enjoy. Some of you, maybe you've never actually received the love of God. You've never actually decided to come back to Father's house. You're still in the pig pen. Maybe that's you. And if you would like to receive his love today, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm making that decision to receive his love. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, maybe you have received it years ago and you spent it, ran away from it. My goodness, I think we all need to receive the love of the Father. <laughs> would you just, would you, would you, let's, let's all pray this together. Just, just say, dear God, I need you.